What up, what up, what up? What's happening? This is the Fire This Time podcast. Back at it again with y'all. My name is Sonny Ture. I'm Akita G. And we are happy to be here once again. First off, we sorry for missing last week. We, you know, logistical issues, right? Legit, it was logistics, right? Yeah, it was logistics. So, uh, but, you know, we ain't gonna let that fuck up tradition. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna let Aki to G welcome the people correctly. You know what I'm saying? Then we're gonna get things started for episode, was it 69? Yeah, 69. All right, let's get it. Well, as usual, y'all, welcome back. Thank you for coming and joining and spending time with us again. As you always can do or should do, like, share, subscribe, and all of that other good shit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the weather is here. The winter is here. It's a little chilly. You know what I'm saying? Out here, so you make sure you stay warm out there. But as usual, we back to give you the heat. So, what are we gonna talk about today, Aki? So, uh, this episode, you know, majority of it, we're gonna uh, do the uh, review of Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Uh, so, me and Aki, you know what I'm saying? You know how we do? Yeah, we checked this shit out. Bootlegged it up. <laughs> I hate to say it, you know, but uh, just because it, you know, it's not that we that broke, but the first movie, you know, it was about Wakanda partnering with the CIA. Yeah. And that's a no-fly zone over here. Yeah. But, uh, so we're gonna do that review. We're also gonna talk about uh, some other news uh, within, you know, uh, I guess black nationalist news, news of black resistance. Uh, and there's a lot to talk about, but this is an issue we talked about before, uh, the sins in the Grandmaster Jay, yeah. uh, the leader of the Not Fucking Around Coalition based in the South. Yeah. I think maybe around, not not in Louisville, but they did some actions in Louisville. Yeah, he came actually out of Cincinnati. So, uh, but we're going to start things off today with uh, this week's fire. And uh, for this week, we're going to commemorate the pending release of our brother, the organizer, the activist, the healer, uh, Matulu Shakur. Uh, pending release from custody. Uh, finally, finally, Aki. After being falsely arrested, may I add. You know, the brother's coming home. You know what I'm saying? The stepfather of Tupac. You know what I'm saying? Revolutionary nationalist. You know, member of the New African Independence Movement. Um, you know, a student of Saladin Shakur. You know, it's a lot of different things. You know what I'm saying? That man been around. He uh, put the work in, you know what I'm saying? Fought white supremacy, not only through military means, but also through health and healing. You know what I'm saying? Establishing the occupancy system in Harlem. You know what I'm saying? Being the first of his kind to actually even do that, you know? Um, also being one of the people at the forefront of, you know what I'm saying, the armed struggle. Um, it's a very good thing to see a brother like him coming home, you know, um, so he can spend, you know, his his latter days, you know, around his family and his loved ones, and that, you know, that's a good thing, man. I hope, you know, we, uh, I hope he enjoys this time. You know, what I'm saying he says he wants to spend a little bit of time with his family, which I can definitely understand because he got sons and and grandkids now, you know. Um, Tupac is gone. Fanny's gone. But you know what I'm saying? He's still here, and his legacy has been living, and his name has been ringing. So, you know what I'm saying? We got him out. 
You know, we got a couple of others we got to get up out of there. You know, they trying to keep our revolutions in there, revolutionaries in there until they old men, I keep. Right. You know, they try to, they, they do, that's pretty much, I look at it like as a, uh, as a Nelson Mandela tactic. They hold you in there until the fight, just the fight, the age take the fight out of you. Right. Not necessarily the fight gone, it's just that you can't physically do what you would have did when you was 23. Right. You know, so. No, I, I definitely see what you're saying, Aki. You know what I'm saying? They're going to lock you up, torture you for the length of your life. Yeah. And then, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, release you as you near death, as an example. You know, uh, but, yeah. But as a revolutionary, though, he stuck to the cause because he organized why he was in there. He was reaching the people why he was in there. You know, sure. as much as he could, his access. I remember I listened to a couple of, he had a little blog talk radio show a long time ago. I mean, it still probably go. It probably was still going on recently, but I I was used to tune into it. I tuned into it a couple of times, and um, you know he was still reaching the people and trying to, um, you know, what I'm saying help the masses, you know, what I'm saying where he could. Um, but it's it's just a it's a blessed thing, you know, what I'm saying to have him out, you know, what I'm saying that's fire for you, you know, what I'm saying that's fire right there. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So we also, uh, you know, keep things moving. You know, and big shout out to all the organizers close to that movement campaign to free our brother Matula Shakur. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, keep things moving. Uh, we're gonna talk about Grandmaster Jay. So if y'all don't that don't know, uh, he's the one of the leaders, if not the leader of the militia entitled the Not Fucking Around Coalition. Mm. Would not. I mean, and and really. That's not one militia. That's a coalition. A militia. Yeah, I think that's an important note. That he's an organizer of a coalition, not that the fact, you know, and maybe a symbolic leader, but not, uh, you know, maybe what... The, the absolute leader. Exactly, you know what I'm saying? exactly. Well, you know, the system always got to make a head. They, they believe in that. So even though it may be a democratic system amongst them, they got to they gotta put one. And he's the probably most vocal and the most seen leader, which may be a smart move. Yeah, and I say this because there's, you know, black folk uh, that are into the gun culture and, you know, resistance. Yeah. Uh, armed resistance type of uh, culture. Yeah. Uh, new Africans, even, uh, on YouTube that are were members. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, under his leadership. Mm. And didn't speak of totalitarian rule or anything like that. But instead... It was an insight into the inner workings of a fledgling coalition that was yeah. very powerful in making some moves that was moving. Yeah, we've never seen that before since the Panthers. Exactly. Oh, at all. At them numbers and yeah. at that type of solidarity. And the and I'm honest, I'm going to keep it real. The Panthers didn't have them numbers. And they was, mar they was doing that in the South, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Panthers did a lot of their armed public resistance. In the North and out West. Out, exactly, Aki. So, for, real quick, uh, just to go back, for those that don't know exactly what went on with Grandmaster Jay, I believe this was at, uh, was it the rally in Louisville, Aki, this happened Yeah, at? I think it was at the rally in Louisville. Uh, let's make sure. He was indicted by a federal grand jury. Damn. Let's make sure we take note of that. So, yeah, this was uh, the leader of a, so this is from the a Baller Alert article. The leader of a black militia group who was arrested during the 2020 Breonna Taylor protest. So remember, he's there uh, showing uh, nonviolent armed resistance in our tradition. Yeah. 
part of le- part of leading that effort mm-hmm. for the death of Breonna Taylor. Yeah. And that's why he's caught up in this. So what exactly did he do? Let's get into that. He was uh, accused of assaulting and brandishing a firearm towards state and federal officers. Mm. Now, the officers were, you know, this article doesn't get into it, unfortunately. But from what we talked about in previous episodes of the podcast, the officers were stationed further away. It wasn't like they was right on the ground next to him, on the ground level next to him. Yeah. They was further away on a rooftop yeah. surveilling the group. Yeah. And they claimed that Grandmaster Jay swung his rifle menace, menacingly uh, across them where they were stationed at on the roof. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, he never threatened, you know, let's be honest here. He never threatened them with the firearm. Yeah. He never aimed it at them. Yeah. They knew just from the context of what was going on that he was never planning on shooting or starting any type of armed confrontation. Yeah. You know, that was not the intention. And that the public publicly that was not the intention yeah, of the militia. He a black man with a gun. Exactly. And that's that's it, Aki. You know, it's a threat to them. They gotta make an example of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, I say this, a person that, the, a man who goes out and is that open about his, um, his dislike and his willingness to uh, utilize the Second Amendment and to be vocal about it and to also, above all things, stand up for black people. That makes you a target automatically. Um, we look at an example of what Robert F. Williams went through. They tried to say he damn near held a white a white person hostage. When the white person was like, nah, they didn't hold me hostage. The state still said he held him hostage. But the real issue was the point of that he was an outspoken black man who organized a militia within the town. And they was willing to do it with the with the clan. And said that they was willing to do it. And even set up situations where they had to do it. And so they'll make up anything. That was just some sham ass accusation. And it's police officers, the pigs' words over yours. And, you know, after doing that, I mean, after after his appearance and seeing what they was doing, I knew that they were going to try to come for him, you know. Some way, somehow, I didn't know if they was going to be able to get him for seven years, but I knew they was going to start messing with him because now they, they alerted to you, if not already being alerted to you, and now you too big. So, you know, I mean, it's only so much... It's only so much racism, white supremacy, a let a nigga do. You know what I'm saying? And they know they're not, they smart enough to know I can't touch you right now. Because if they do, it'd, I'll be, it'd be openly obvious why I'm touching you right now. We go let shit calm down. They wait till shit calm down, and then all of a sudden we heard about this. We hadn't heard nothing from Grant. We hadn't heard from that man for, in months, but he'd been in jail, though. You know, hopefully the coalition, um, of uh, militias are still organized. You know what I'm saying? And I would also just challenge other new African groups, mm. you know, or even other black socialist Marxist groups. Mm. You know, just because Grandmaster Flash is not an avowed Marxist or socialist, mm. there's so- still somebody from our community, of us, mm. 
that is imprisoned for attempting to defend and further our cause. So, you know, I, I'm not sure just how much uh, support he's getting yeah. from, you know, a Black Alliance for Peace, yeah. which is a national, international Black socialist organization. Yeah. Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, uh, certainly a radical organization, a radical-leaning organization. Maybe not an avowed like socialist organization, but a new African revolutionary organization. Yeah. You know, uh, what type of solidarity are these organizations? You know, uh, that I guess that would be the first place I would look to for the support, despite yeah. some ideological differences. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm feeling, Aki. I mean, as you know, and I know. Sometimes those things can be very paramount and why they don't, and why other groups don't touch, reach out, and connect with groups and people that you may even have ideological agreements with. More agreement than disagreement sometimes. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's sometimes one of those things that ideology can play. So, when, you know, ideology is needed in the movement, but like they always say, too much anything can hurt you. You know what I'm saying? Too much anything can get you, may slow you down, or may harm you. You know. Um. I I I you know, I hope you Katie gave it for the seven years. I you know, hopefully he got only got to sit in there for about two and a half years, probation, good time. He get on now. They gonna put him on three years, but he either way when he get out, he got three years of supervised. You know what I'm saying? That he's still gonna be under the control, under the management of the state. So, you know, don't like to see shit like that. I would like to see the brother back out here and still organizing and things like that. That was a good sight to see. We hadn't seen, because it was funny, because, you know, you know the trope that's always out there, you know, black men don't protect black women. Right. And then you've seen black men. And women. And women. Right. Out there, because the sister was locked and loaded, too. For sure. They was out there For rapping, sure. too. But the, the the fact is, you seen black men with women defending the the wrongful death and the protection of the people protesting against that wrongful death in real lifetime. So, you know, um, thank you, brother, for that. Um, we need to see that. Um, and you know, I, I definitely know that the brothers in the inside is gonna take care of you. For sure, you know. So, so let's keep it moving, Aki. Uh, we're going to come to the marquee topic of uh, our meeting this evening. So last week, we spent our meeting time watching Black Panther Wakanda Forever, taking it in and, uh, you know, having the luxury since we watched it in the crib mm -hmm. of being able to watch it, pause a little bit, talk. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, uh... I guess for starters, Aki, what, I mean, what are your big impressions of this Hollywood-produced artifact? Um, really? It was, um, we seen the first one together. Yes, we did. Um, oh, that, that's a good point. Yeah, we seen the first Black Panther we, together. Maybe we go back and tell that story. I mean, uh, did we do a show on that? I don't we might have did uh, a podcast episode on that years ago when it came out. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a while ago. But uh, 
when the first one was shown, uh, Speak Truth Collective, yeah, uh, a community organization we were both part of at the time, uh, put on an event, you know what I'm saying, for the black community at the theater after a showing of the black, the first Black Panther movie. Yeah. So, I feel like this might be more a more egregious act. <laughs> than rocking the dashiki, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and showing out and, you know what I'm saying, doing the African tribal dances at the, you know what I'm saying, or ethnic dances at the motherfucking premieres and shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This might, this, <laughs> what we did might be more egregious, Aki. I mean, and I think in big parts, it'd be different if after the film, there was a lot of people in the panel of radicals we put together. Yeah. That disagreed or really railed against the film, but no, it wasn't as much of that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was in the weeks and months and years after that film where we really woke up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, just damn, well, damn, damn. We seen shit that we didn't pay attention to or seen and just didn't. You know, it was a lot of shit. It, it might have took me about maybe a week just off of being awed of the aesthetic, awed of the fact that this is a, the fact that so many beautiful black folk came together and made a visually beautiful yeah. movie that had such strong ideal types in it. Yeah. For women and men. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Maybe better for men than classic, it did for, than classic it did for women. actors in there. And just, I mean, so yeah, I mean, that that was our experience with the first film. Uh, you know, some planning, some organization around it. Mm-hmm. Community definitely supported at a level I don't see us supporting it for this one. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just that's just how it feels. But maybe a lot more people just going still going to see it. Yeah. But the energy around the first one was just different. Yeah. Uh but you know, I would say the relationship that the directors, the writers, the producers, the studios behind this film mm-hmm. put in there between Wakanda and the so-called colonizer. They yeah. favor colonizers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the relationship between Wakanda and the West, Wakanda and the U.S., you know what I'm saying? And also the relationship between Wakanda and other colonized people. Yeah. Whether they be, you know, represented by, like, oppressed people in the Americas or the West, represented by Killmonger, black folk, I mean, represented by Killmonger in the first yeah. one, versus the colonization of indigenous people represented by Namora and the Tolokians in this one. Yeah. The relationship that the Hollywood is putting out with, what, of Wakanda between these entities is, you know, it's horrible. It's horrible. You know what I'm saying? I think if y'all haven't yet, y'all got to check out Jared Ball's Wakanda Must Fall on Black Power Media. We watched that before uh, recording this and enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. But he's right when, when he's talking about how you know, they're going to portray black and, and brown folk fighting each other while the so-called good colonizer in the CIA is kiki ha ha and telling jokes with the evil Nazi bitch with the purple streak in her hair and shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They are, they're joking, laughing at the same work meetings together yeah. in the same office, kicking it. Black and brown folk fighting it out. And they're really fighting it out because Wakanda, traitorous. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Partnering with the entity that enslaved, killing, you know what I'm saying, uh, and all that. So, uh, and of course, that that's Hollywood required that to produce this film. Yeah. And uh, 
So yeah, we could talk about some of the moments, some of the characters, but uh, I'll stop there. Because initially the question was on you, Waki. You know what I'm saying? Like, your initial impressions about the film. I mean, um, you know, it was... it. I think the graphics, first of all, wasn't on the same level as they were in the first one. Um, of course, you're missing Chad with Boswell. So, that, that you know, you ain't got him in there. You ain't got Chad in there. It sort of hurt a little bit. We were still sort of reeling from over that because he did such a good job, you know? And, you know, we had all those questions before we seen it, you know, is, you know, are they going to recast the Panther? Um, after a while, we sort of figured that they was going to make Shuri the Panther. Um, and, you know, we just wanted to see it. And then when we seen it, as you said, we had a little awakening after the first Panther. So we came into this one with a little more knowledge. Um, and eyes open a little bit more. And so you're looking at this shit, and as you said, you're seeing two colonized people. Um, and really, let's talk, to, let's talk real about that. Wakanda was never colonized based in the Marvel world. Never was colonized. Everywhere else around them was colonized. Why they sat there and watched. And partnered with the colonizers. Partner with the college. At least in the cinematic universe. Yeah, in the cinematic universe, this was the idea. So in the cinematic universe, Wakandans were, were sellouts. Um, you know what I'm saying? Then you got Killmonger. He comes. Killmonger comes. He represents us. Killmonger comes along, and he sees this shit. Like, y'all done had this shit over here and all this technology and shit all this time, and we over here going through this shit, and the rest of us around y'all, and you... You know, and they pretty much team up with the colonizer to get rid of him. You know? Literally. Literally. You know? The CIA nigga is shooting down African revolutionaries. Yeah. With a drone, with a Wakandian drone at the end of the film. You know, let alone from that, the Wakandians is doing that to him, and he is a legitimate heir, not the legitimate heir, but and a legitimate heir to the throne. Right. He got the blood running through him. You know what I'm saying? So, so it's a lot of shit we've seen. So, so uh, on that note, Aki, in this new film, Killmonger is still the villain. Still the villain. So, of course, spoilers, if you ain't seen the film, we probably should have said that. But spoiler warning, you know, Killmonger shows up when Sherry manufactures the uh, special herb that they take to get the powers, the Black Panther powers. Mm. You know, and of course, through that process, they visit the ancestral realm. Yeah. And she hopes to see T'Challa there. Who she finds there is instead Killmonger, who, of course, was killed by T'Challa in the yeah. previous film in a fucking CGI fight that looked like some a, a computer game. Yeah. And y'all say that's a good movie, as if that was dramatic. Mm-hmm. The fight between T'Challa and Killmonger. Who the fuck even cares about that fight? The, the, such great characters that had this polar-type tension and difference between them does anybody even care about the climatic fight they should have had them niggas on top of the waterfall again yeah 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 you know honestly maybe even if it was just them two yeah you know what i'm saying uh, at least we, we would have seen some, I don't know. Could have got some better fight scene coordinated. They, they could have got Michael J. White to come in and do the choreography for that. Oh, that that, that should be a given. Yeah, you know what I'm <laughs> Off saying? Off of that blood and, and just, bone. Yeah. But, but, but real quick, just how, how is Killmonger the villain in this new film? It's because 
Namor is maybe is kind of set up as the anti-hero. Of course, Namor is kind of set up as a villain, but his people aren't villainous. The, yeah. his, the people are oppressed. Yeah. And the people, his people, him and his people side with the Wakandians at the end. So I don't think Namor is the really the true villain. At least not with the one that the producers want you to see. It really is uh, Killmonger who told Shuri in the ancestral dream that she took, uh, that she had. Uh, of course, they, they, they depicted him as uh, influencing her to kill Namor. You know, so you had Killmonger who wanted to start an anti-colonial world revolt. The producers just think, oh, because he is just so irrational. Mm-hmm. Of course, he would support Shuri killing Namor, who was also fought for anti-colonial revolt. Killmonger would have allied with Namor. But because they have to portray black revolutionaries as irrational... He influences Shuri to kill Namor, which, of course, at the very end, when she's standing over him, mm. she's having flashbacks, trying to, fighting against Killmonger's influence. Well, the thing is, is this. It was sort of confusing to me because I didn't know... Killmonger pretty much told her, he said, are you going to be noble like T'Challa or are you going to take care of business like me? But the context wasn't really... I didn't really see the context as referring to Namor. But that's how they applied it. That's maybe how they tried to apply it, but, like... Like, it didn't didn't come off that way to me. I mean, she chose to do the noble thing like T'Challa. Yeah. I mean, as far as how they they framed it in those scenes. Yeah, because... Of course, Killmonger... The quit... the whole proposition that they put so-called in front of Killmonger is a straw man argument. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Killmonger would have tried to ally, but that's not even an option they put in front of the table mm-hmm. because the whole plot of the movie that they're trying to depict is these colonized people fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Of course there's contradictions. Of yeah. course there's illogical shit going on there. Because see, like with the, like with, like even with, say for instance, Namor, his ancestors were colonized. Yeah. But his people of today wasn't. His people, when I say meaning, the people that his 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 folks that's in the water with him, they were more concerned out of a fear that this, we know, we hear the stories about what you did to our people up there. They used to live on the ground. Hell nah, we gonna kill that before it even come. You know what I'm saying? And because they were separated, they was able to organize. He wasn't down there just doing no idle shit. He was organizing. He was but, plotting some shit. But also, I think they portrayed Namor and the Tolokians too irrational, too. Because, yeah, yeah, they, they, they did. Because they, they had did. to portray any any type of colonized people that are seeking self-determination, they're going to depict them as irrational. Yeah. So why? So you tell me why the Tolokians, who are, you know, these indigenous American or South American, I, I don't know exactly, yeah, Meso- yeah. Mesoamerican mm-hmm. folk, they're people colonized by the Europeans, right? Yeah. So you're telling me in the few hundred years since that that point of contact that not, in, instead of aiming their aggression and their their urge for revenge, right, mm-hmm. against the colonial powers, yeah. that now it's morphed into the whole so- surface world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so now, weird. now the Tolokians are they're not they're approaching the Wakandians saying 
it's not even put in front of them the realistic option. The re the realistic thing would be let's fight against these colonial powers. It mm -hmm. wouldn't be let's kill everybody on the surface. Yeah. That sounds fucking insane. Yeah. To it, say that. It, well, it sounds insane to say that because if you're gonna make a pact with the damn dare Wakandians, they live on the surface. Right. You know. Thank you. Um. But uh, but then they they throw in the hidden peoples. We're hidden peoples. Yeah. So you know so. Yeah. Everybody but, else that's not a hidden peoples, you know what I'm saying? But so, but my thing is, the, so you tell me the Tolokians wouldn't have felt any type of allyship or solidarity with oppressed people well, across the globe? Well, here go the catch. When he approached the queen, she wasn't even willing to set up like, well, listen here. She didn't even try to talk, had a conversation with him, chit-chat with him, have a sit down at the table. You know what I'm saying? Well, check it out. Okay. You here. I hear what you're saying. That's having me to sit down and conversate about this to see what's going on. You know what I'm saying? And then you could make, well, well that's to keep it real. Shout out, love to Angela Bassett for her great performance in the movie. But based in the Panther world, she wouldn't have did that. She wouldn't have did that. I mean, even the way they displayed her in the movie, uh, you are able, you know, you gave a good talking to you know what I'm saying? The uh, it was France who tried to um, find the vibranium and tried to rob them. You know what I'm saying? That Pacific company gave them a, a quick talking to and stuff like that, which they showed her. She played the role well, but the reality is, is that like one minute you you showing them your you know your power and, and you displaying the grace and the stuff like that, then you still turning around and work with them and then you side with them to go against. You dropped a dime on them. I mean, to be real with you, they, Namor was, just like in the first movie, Killmore was the was the real one. And this one, Killmonger was the real one. And this one, Namor was the real one. Because exactly. Steve betrayed him. He went to you. I, it's no, no different than what we see on the street every day. But, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think the more from for me, the more was the one I was rooting for mm -hmm. because I mean he was standing on principle, and I was but I had to ignore all the irrational shit they tried to apply to the character and the plot. Yeah, because it's not just the fact that they wanted to go against everybody on the surface, including the oppressed black and brown people, which of yeah. course just put people's sympathy against them. It wouldn't have been a, a lot more complicated. What if the more was saying straight up? We're going all after the colonial powers. You know what I'm saying? Wakanda, y'all just make that shit a joke. Y'all call people colonizers while you breaking bread with them. We're No, we're saying coming to this pact to go against the colonizers. That would have had a whole different tone in the movie. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But not, that's not the only piece of their, their rationality applied to them. It was also with Riri, the scientist that made... I was the, just finna go there. ...the device that could find uh, the vibranium in the yeah. ocean. They wanted, their whole thing was, we want to kill her. You know what I'm saying? So the, 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 these stupid, fickle plot devices that Riri was the only one that could rebuild it. You know what I'm saying? Even though the Americans used it yeah. already, yeah. They, there's no there's no chance for them to reverse engineer it or anything like that. As far as the place where the, the boat was found and yeah. then was, of course... Uh, how the Tolokians were introduced. Yeah. They took over the boat, right? Yeah. At the beginning of the film. But they gonna know through GPS and shit where the boat was at. Yeah. So the whole plot point that they're still trying to cling on to hide themselves. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's just... It, 
there's so many plot points in there that just set them up as this these irrational uh, people. I mean, well, you know, the the, the whole Riri part was sort of weird to me. You know, um, if you, if the queen would have sat down and had a, had a conversation with Namor and his council, you and your council sit down and have a conversation, you you probably could have came to some agreements about Riri. You say, well, listen, I, we'll keep Riri, but we'll share technology with you. You see what I'm saying? There was no type of the type of negotiations that would go on between two kingdoms, countries, civilizations wasn't even there. You know, um Oh, Wakanda Wakanda and the Queen, they did more negotiating with the United Nations. Yeah. Than they did with uh the Tolokians. You know, so I mean this this you but, know but the whole but you're right. There that that whole everything about how they did that, you know what I'm saying? The interactions between Tolokia or Namor's people and the Wakandans, everything was just about advancing the plot. It wasn't about actual characters making rational yeah. actions that actually resonate as, you know what I'm saying, something real world and kind of rooted in reality. Mm-hmm. Instead, they had this ancient king, you know what I'm saying, that's been alive for a thousand years. The first time we see him, he's walking out of the, wa- the water, meeting the queen and uh, Shuri yeah. at the waterfront. Yeah. There's no emissary sent between the nations. Nothing that you would expect but, but, of two nations coming together. Now, check this out. Nobody else can find Wakanda. This fool come right up out the water. Just come straight on up out the water. Like, yeah, I know y'all niggas been here for a minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he did know they'd been there for a minute because he knew they dropped the dime about the vibranium. Right. So... And, and she doesn't even... I mean, you're right. The queen doesn't even try to enter into negotiations. But also that, I mean, the producers and the writers don't even really put it on the table. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, either character at either time could have tried to make contact for negotiations. That's what really would have happened between two nations. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but instead, it was... Uh, I don't know. We, we had to grow attached to these characters and these, you know, these people through these, you know, stupid-ass plot points. I mean, I'm going to say this. At the end of the day, with this, it it does not surprise me. Um, We did not create this. Um, It was not written and did not come from the mind of a black man in its origins. They tried to put one on there today, but he got white supremacy all up in his ass. So I, I think uh, Jared Ball mentioned that as well. As far as the creators of Black Panther, they, they made that character in response to the rising tide of black resistance. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And they made a character that represented that rising tide that they were comfortable with. Yeah, more yielding. That the white comic industry was comfortable with. And, too, that would apply to black, or that would appeal to black people because... Even then, did they see the plot the way we see it now? So they use tropes. The most Wakanda, African country, most advanced Africa, or most advanced country in the world. High technology, above everybody else. That sort of plays at the pride, you know what I'm saying, aspect, and things of that such nature. We may have not been grasping it necessarily from a thing of looking at it like, well, why the hell they round them? 
what about all the other folks? But this is a made-up universe. You know what I'm saying? So I always have to take that into account. You know, I think we, you know, we talk about it because you look at the youth, the younger folks, and you see how they, like, if a person is 20, they grew up with a, with a, with a hero. You know what I'm saying? Far as a, a cartoonish superhero, and it's probably Panther. And the Marvel Universe made it so T'Challa in the first movie killed the nigga trying to arm the Black Revolution. Yeah. And stop, you know, the distribution of military resources mm -hmm. to forces fighting against white supremacy. T'Challa stopped that and put a community center in the hood. And that was the end of the first movie. That, relative to the amount of power they held, Obama did more for black folk than Wakanda. You know? I mean, they could even did something like, you know, that's why I said they could have... I think that this would have been better if they would have... They could have stretched out the time, gave whether it was T'Challa's child or Killmonger's child, because Shilmunga could have had a child and we just didn't know nothing about it in the but, first one. But see, you can't do that just because it's embedded within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That, True. You know what I'm saying? They're trying yeah. to do stuff between the movies. So. But, but in the same way, too. Yeah, they got to put the whistle name in there. So they're doing a lot of different stuff. I mean, that was another fact. It wasn't, to me, comic-based as well. But I think when you apply the modern visuals to it, you just see colonialism all up in that. Yeah. Also, I'm not nothing. I don't get no warm feelings by the child being named uh, Toussaint. Yeah, that pissed me off. And uh, the child probably gonna be grow up to be a worse leader than T'Challa. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, I I wonder, does he have a father figure? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or to be, if he's a future king, he don't. There's to to be a future king. Imagine somebody being raised to be a king without a father figure. Just, ima just e imagine there's no place in our history where that would ever occur. Yeah. But uh, anyways, Disney. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And uh, also, we got to end on this note, Aki. And this shows you, you know what I'm saying, maybe we're improving in our critique. We didn't even mention nothing about black men and black masculinity. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. So before we go, we clocked this. I clocked this, Aki. Yeah. No black man spoke in that movie for the first 30 minutes. Didn't speak a goddamn word. Didn't say yes, sir. I was no, sir. I was talking to Aki at five minutes, 10 minutes, 20. And then it wasn't until M'Baku started, came in the scene at yeah. 30 minutes <laughs> that, that a word got in. We, got, we was happy. Like, okay, a brother spoke. A brother said something. Now, now think about the first 30 minutes of the first film. Yeah. T'Challa, Killmonger, the introduction of those, of those characters. The fight between T'Challa and M'Baku. Yeah. This is and yeah. also, they did that at the same time where you have a strong black women. You can't look at the that, that move, the first movie and say there wasn't an ample amount of strong black women. Yeah, too. it was definitely equally but balanced. But as society man. advances, the movie industry, just like the Academy, just like the, the this whole white supremacist patriarchal society, is moving in the direction of just showing how disposable and unneeded black men is. They're not needed in the first 30 minutes of the film. They're not needed to raise T'Challa's son to be a king. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, some whole other shit, you know what I'm hey, saying? We didn't give a black Misandrist critique of this, so. Until the last two minutes. <laughs> yeah, until the last two minutes. But, <laughs> it, you know, that definitely was a part in it. And, you know, I, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. 
you know, um, um, if you can find a good bootleg, go for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, hit me on the DM. I got you. You know? All right, but, peace, um, y'all. Peace. You know, yeah, peace. Fire this time.